Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and you say, Turn back, you mortals, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are consumed by your anger, by your wrath we are overwhelmed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our life are 70 years, or perhaps 80 if we are strong. Even then their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Turn, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favour of the Lord, our God, be upon us and prosper us for the work of our hands. O prosper the work of our hands. Well, the Gauls, I don't know if anyone's heard of the Gauls, not the Gaul stones, the Gauls. Um, they were an ancient warlike people. And uh, they lived in around what is now France and Belgium, so that sort of area. Um, and, and before civilization sort of came along, the Gauls spoke in like a barbarian type of language, so the Oogaboogas type stuff, that sort of, that sort of a language. So that, that was the Gauls. Um, and they usually worshipped rocks, so these innate objects, and they lived in mud huts. They were no, known as one of the most savage ancient civilizations to exist. They were, however, conquered by the Roman Empire, but they'd still find the courage to rise up and mount a challenge against them, so have some uprisings against them. Now, over the years, many missionaries went into these, these areas uh, and ventured into this Gaulic territory, and over the time, many of the Gauls became Christians. Now, there's a story that's told of how converted Gallic warriors were baptised in rivers or in streams. And, but as they were baptised, they would hold one hand over their head. And as the missionary put them under the water, that hand would never get fully baptised. The missionaries found this practice quite peculiar and wondered what was going on. And it didn't take them long to learn that when the next battle or skirmish broke out, the warlike Gaul could proclaim, this army is not baptised. So they grabbed their club or their sword and go out and do what they did and beat people over the head with it and acted in very unchrist-like ways. <laughs> Can you imagine being someone who tried to keep one part of their body or one aspect of their identity free from the influence of baptism or free from the power of Christ. Now, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at stewardship, this idea of stewardship. And stewardship's not, not about, uh, is about being completely immersed, about totally in, 
about fully baptised into Christ. No arm, no nose, no hair left behind. Stewardship is about giving of our whole self to God, turning total control of our lives over to him. It's not leaving any part of you, and I'm not specifically talking physical here now, but perhaps leaving, not leaving anger or busyness or gossip or love or a love of money unbaptized. Everything's given over to God. Stewardship is about all of life. It's about giving ourselves to God and then using all that God has given to us in a way that is appropriate for his glory. Stewardship is about placing God in charge of every part of our lives. And in our culture that tells us that we've got greater control over everything than we ever have before, we are in control. Giving it across totally is difficult. This three-week series that we're going to do uh, just now is going to focus on three aspects of stewardship. It's going to focus on time, it's going to focus on money, finances, and it's going to focus on the stewardship of God's resources as well. So the hope of this series is it's not just about learning to be good stewards in these areas of our lives, but it's to, to live into a life that actually God's calling us and wanting us to have, living, to, living into the fullness of God's life for you and I. So let's, let's pray, and we get stuck into this uh, understanding of stewardship of time. So our Lord, as we start this series, give us open ears, open minds, open hearts to be challenged and um, impacted by your word. Yeah, we pray that uh, today you, we may leave um, yeah, being, being ready to, to consider how we use our time and, Lord, the, how we give our time to you as well. Amen. C.S. Lewis has a great quote um, when thinking about time. It says, The future is something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour. Whatever he does, whoever he is. See, no matter what our social or our economic or our racial status, and no matter how we fit into our society, no matter how many letters are behind your name or how many letters are in your name, it, it doesn't matter. We all have one thing in common. We all have been given by God the same amount of time every single day. We have 24 hours every single day. 1,440 minutes every single day. You can use them however you like. 86,400 seconds every single day. And it does seem like a lot, doesn't it? It seems like a lot. But I challenge you to consider, when was the last time you said, or you thought maybe, something like this? There just isn't enough hours in the day. I'm pretty hard-pressed for time today. Doesn't the time go fast? Where did that time go? I'm sure we've all thought or said something similar to that in the last two days, <laughs> maybe. Well, with Christmas around the corner, don't you feel that the years keep rolling around quicker and quicker? I, 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 it was just Christmas, just last year. Do you remember that? It was, just, it was just there, and now it's here again. And it just keeps rolling around. The narrative we speak seems to revolve around the lack of time. But here's the thing, regardless, regardless of how quick life seems to revolve, we still have 24 hours in every day to deal with. 24 hours. For those of you who are in need of an extra day 
Wait until next year because it's a leap year, so you'll get an extra day. There you go. There you go. Oh, we'll give that to you next year. <laughs> Quite often, however, we complain that we don't get to spend time with the ones we love. Or we don't have time to go in and be a part of a connect group. Or we don't have time to stop and have our own personal space with God and we rush through life. And maybe we listen to a little bit of the Bible in our car as we go to work or, or maybe we don't even open the Bible at all because we just have not got the time. Yet we have as much time as we did 10 years ago. We have as much time as we had 20 years ago. We have as much time as we had 1,000 years ago. 24 hours every single day. In fact, I was thinking about this, and it makes sense to me, and maybe it's the way I think, that we should have more time now than we did 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, because technologies evolve so quickly and so rapidly in such a way to help us save time that we should all just be sitting down and enjoying life. But it doesn't seem to happen. Do you remember the dial-up internet? Remember that? And that funny noise? Yeah, that noise? You could put your computer on and then you go make your coffee. It was great. <laughs> but now we have it in our pocket. We don't even have to get home to get onto the internet, to look at our emails, to go and do whatever we need to do. Telecommunication systems go down for a day. So if you're on Optus, welcome to your uh, extra 200 gig of, of internet data for a month or whatever, because <laughs> we all use that much, so that's really helpful. Um, but, but the internet provider goes down for a day and the the world falls apart. Our world is so fast-paced that we feel that that's the only way we can get things done is to go faster. Maybe we're trying to keep up. I don't know what it is. But we struggle to find time. I love this quote. R. Alec McKenzie in his book, The Time Trap, says this. Most of us sense something else about time. It is a resource. Moreover, it is a unique resource. It cannot be accumulated like money or stockpiled like raw materials. We are forced to spend it, whether we choose to or not, and we are forced at a fixed rate of 60 seconds every minute. It cannot be turned on or off like a machine or replaced like a man. It is irretrievable. We can't get time back, can we? The biggest issue we face as Christians when it comes to time is not the amount of time that God has given us, but it's about our view of time and how that fits into life itself and how we use the time God's given us. See, God's not limited by time at all, is he? God is not limited by time. For, for, um, 2 Peter 3.8 says, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. God sees present, past, and future, all in one. We can't fathom it. We can't understand it. But time does not limit God. Yet we live in the limits of time, don't we? We live in this restriction or blessing of 24 hours in a day. And unfortunately for us, we fall into the trap of believing that the goal of life is that we have to achieve something with the time that is given to us all the time. We have to fulfill a productive way of living all the time. And when we narrow time down to what we can get out of it, we actually lose the capacity to just stop, slow, and enjoy what God has given us. Enjoy our family. Enjoy the beauty of creation. Enjoy what he has given us. We lose the opportunity and the ability 
to find out what it is God wants for us. You may have heard of the day uh, that's been lost in time. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's a story that um, I found out about, but it's pretty cool. NASA scientists were checking out the position of the sun, the moon, and the planets in space. And they would be 100... And where, where the, the, these planets and that would be 100 and 1,000 years from now. Don't know how they do it. They had to know this so that when they send a satellite up, they won't bump into other things going on in, into the, uh, in the orbit. They have to lay out the orbits in terms of the life of the satellite and where the planets will be so that the whole thing won't just, just fall apart. So they ran the computer measurements back and forth over the centuries, and then it all came to a halt. The computer stopped, and it put up this red signal, and it meant that there was something wrong with the information that it was either with the information that was fed into it or with the results that came back. It wasn't quite, there was something not quite right. They called in the, the, the people who knew more and check it out, and they said, What's the problem? What they found was there's a day missing, a day missing in space, in time. A day missing, and that day couldn't be accounted for. I suppose if you're an accountant, you're looking to make sure things balance, and when you're a dollar out, probably not, not so much a dollar, but a thousand dollars out or whatever it might be, you, you start to worry. Maybe a dollar's down, I don't know. I'm not an accountant. It wasn't until a Christian man on the team recalled some scriptures from his Sunday school regarding the stopping of time. And he remembered that in Joshua, there was a story where Joshua asked God to make the sun stand still for a day whilst they were in battle against the enemies. And in Joshua 10.30, it says this, The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. So the scientists explore this. And that they found... Now, I don't know. This is a story I found, so... You can do your research. And they found, the scientists, that Joshua's day was actually 23 hours and 20 minutes long, not a whole day. So they discarded it. Well, they didn't really discard it, but they went, okay, that's, that's interesting. So, so the scientists needed to, to, they've got to be precise, so they need to find this extra 40 minutes. What's the deal? And the Christian man thought about this and remembered another scripture. And I'm sure that all you are thinking about this other scripture right now. In 2 Kings chapter 20... Yeah? No? No, no. Uh, King Hezekiah, he, <laughs> he has his illness and he thought it was the end of him. And Isaiah was with him and the Lord spoke to Isaiah telling him that he would still live another 15 years. And Hezekiah needed some sort of assurance that this was the Lord's doing. And the Lord's sign was that he would take the shadow back 10 degrees. 10 degrees back. And the shadow was as a, like a, a sun shadow, sundial type thing. So the scientists then looked at how long 10 degrees backwards might be. And they found it would be... 40 minutes. See? It's amazing. God has control of time. God is the maker of time. God is the keeper of time. God has the ability to move, shift, and change time, to stop time. Time for God is a different concept than what it is for us. Now, through Psalm 90, we see this contrast between time for God and time for humanity. Firstly, we see how God's time is eternal. In verses 1 and 2, it says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place before all generations, throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is an eternal refuge. Through the Old Testament and the New Testament, throughout all of the ages, God has been the one that humanity has turned to for refuge. 
God spans the generations of time. God was there before. God will be after. The psalmist notes that before the mountains were born, God brought forth the world. Everlasting to everlasting. Verse 4 goes on to say, A thousand years in your sight is like a day that has just gone by, or a watch in the night. Time for God is different than time for us. We can hardly fathom a thousand years, can we? A thousand years is a long time. Um, way back when Solari and I were in our 20s, we, uh, we were in England for a bit. Um, through that time, we were able to have a holiday in Italy. And we went to Venice. Has anyone been to Venice? Beautiful, beautiful place. And it's got um, this... this uh, we sat in the courtyard of St. Mark's Basilica. And uh, this beautiful, beautiful church. And I remember just sitting there looking at this church, thinking, in Australia, we've got no buildings that are this old. We've got, obviously, um, God-made things, but no buildings that are this old. A thousand years, or over a thousand years old, this building was, and it was beautiful. Now, there are things that have obviously been built earlier, but it was something about just sitting there, just reflecting and, and seeing the, the, um, the incredible space of something that is over a thousand years old. I've thought about that. Like, uh, some people would say that a thousand years could equate to 40 to 50 generations. When I think that I can trace back the last hundred years of my family, I think that's a, quite a lot of time. So I sat with my hot chocolate and I looked at this church and thought of the stories that would have been told since that time was built. Now for God, that 1,000 plus years is like yesterday for us. Or like a watch in the night. Now, a watch in the night refers to a time in the night that was broken down into four, um, four spots, um, possibly three hours each, where someone would keep watch, keep watch that um, invaders wouldn't come or whatever it might be. Maybe if you were out there keeping watch, it might have felt like a thousand years, I don't know. But I sense what this is trying to say is that the, 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 the shortness of human life in comparison to God, a thousand years might seem a long time for us, but for God... It's nothing. The key point here is that God's time and essence of time is incomprehensible for us. So secondly, it's contrasted to human time. We're the ones whom God turns back to dust, or we live and die and go back into the dust. We're the ones that are swept away like a dream. We're the ones like grass that flourishes in the morning, in the end, in the evening, it fades and withers. Time for us, in contrast to time for God, is not something we can compare. We are mortal and we really have, just as well in relativity, relative times, we don't have long on earth. And verse 10 says, our days may come to 70 years or 80. And we celebrated 590s the other day, which is awesome. If our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. So, as mortals, time is fleeting, 24 hour after 24 hour after 24 hour. So the question we've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing with that time? How are we stewarding our time well? Are we making the most of the time that we have here on earth? Do we use our time wisely? Now, the key opposition to wise use of time is actually busyness. Does busyness seem to be the norm for you? Because if it is, perhaps you're not using your time, uh, being the best steward of your time that God has given you. And this is a message for me as it is for all of us. 
I love verse 12 in Psalm 9. It says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we may truly live and achieve wisdom. What does it mean to truly live? What does it mean to have a heart of wisdom? It sounds for us to have a heart of wisdom, we have to get a grasp of the time that we have here on earth and how we use that well. And to flip that, it is, as we become wise in that, we can start to understand what God is wanting for us to be. The importance of how we use our time and how we can honour God in it. Flip it back, in contrast, busyness seems to be the opposite of living a true and wise life. It would seem that busyness, uh, that having a heart of wisdom and a life that is busy or chaotic with busyness, they're at odds with one another. But wisdom teaches us what is important over running towards what is continually urgent. So in the light of this, I want us to consider three questions this morning with how we use our time. The first one is, are you trying to do too many things all at once? I'm not a good multitasker at all. I know that some people can do various things uh, um, but I think multitasking doesn't get things done quicker. It makes you busier. That's my opinion. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a good multitasker, as I said. Um, if you're talking folding socks in front of the cricket on the telly, I can do that. Two things at once. And I could even have a coffee at the same time. Three things at once. But that can all be bowled into one thing, can't it? Like just sitting and doing socks. Um, but I'm unable to have emails up concentrating on writing a sermon. Because as soon as something pops up, I've lost my train of thought and it's gone over to an email. You send up, end up going, all right, well, I'll just, I'll just type in this one. And I start typing and then another one will pop up. So, all right, leave that one there. Let's go into this one. And in the end, you become more busy because you've not done everything well. Maybe I'm the only one in that position. Am I the only one in that position? No? Yeah. Jeff Lucas is a preacher and author in the UK. He's a funny man. He's a great writer, worth reading some of his books. But in one of his blogs, he said this. Many of us are unfocused and distracted. Half of those who use tablets visit social networking sites while watching television. Two-thirds check emails in front of the box. Armed with a smartphone that also serves as a calculator, stock market scoreboard, game console, appointment calendar, voice recorder, guitar tuner, body masks, indexer, and weather forecaster, we're constantly multitasking. But experts tell us that our brains are not wired to multitask well. When we think we're multitasking, we're actually just switching from one task to another very rapidly. And so reducing our productivity by up to 40% and making decisions without thinking that is fragmented or distracted can lead to a disaster or even embarrassment. And I'm sure if you're like me, you've made those times where you haven't sent an email because it's sitting half done in your inbox, outbox. Multitasking seems like an unwise use of time. The prayer of Psalm 20 is to teach us to number our days. Teach us, Lord, to make the most of the days that we have. Teach us, Lord, not to let busyness become a way of life. Rather, help us to make the important things the key things. 2,000 years before multitasking was questioned by academics, Jesus gently scolded a friend of his, Martha, for bustling 
her bustling obsession to do too many things at once. Bristling with resentment because her sister Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning. Usually the role that was normally taken by men. She was like, like me in the kitchen, bashing the pots. Can you hear what I'm doing? Rather than rebuking Mary for sitting at the feet of Jesus, Jesus commended her for her single-mindedness and sitting there. Are you trying to do too many things at once and missing the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus? That leads to the second question. Where does sitting at the feet of Jesus fit into your time schedule? Where does sitting at the feet of Jesus fit into your time schedule? If we're to learn anything from today, this is one thing. Whilst there's always something else to do, we always need to find time to sit at the feet of Jesus. We need to have space in our day where the rush, the hurry, and the busyness are set aside and we sit at the feet of Jesus. See, busyness and hurry are related, aren't they? When we're busy, we always seem to be in a hurry, don't we? Because there's always something else we've got to get done. And when we're hurrying, we don't stop and think, I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus. We hardly have time to stop and sit in the loo, let alone sit at the feet of Jesus. We need to find the space just, before, just to sit before God without the interruptions of social media, without the interruptions of another thing to get to, without the interruptions of the TV, the cricket scores, the latest email, whatever it might be. I wonder where that space is for you. I wonder what point of your 24 hours, your 1,440 minutes, or your, what was it, 86,400 seconds of the day is best for you. Where your focus is solely on God. Where God gets your undivided attention. We were blessed last year to be able to put a deck into the side of our house uh, where Solari and I use it sort of as a, as a refuge space while the kids use the living areas inside. Since that deck has been built, it's become the place where I'm able to go of a morning. The kids and Solari go off to, to school and I'm able to go of a morning, make my coffee, get my Bible and go and sit out and just stop at the start of my day. I cherish that space. I cherish that time. I love it. <laughs> Where is that space for you? Perhaps it's during your lunch break. Perhaps the morning's just routine is just busy. And perhaps it's your lunch break where you go out and you might sit in your car for five, ten minutes and stop, take a breath and reflect, read your scriptures. Maybe it's the end of your day and that's your best place. It doesn't, there's no formula for it. But what is what does, where does it fit into your schedule? However it best works for you, do it that way. We don't want to make spending time with God a chore, do we? So we're not going to set, well, at 8 o'clock, put your alarm on and all of us will do this for the next 10 minutes. We're not going to do that. But I want to ask that question. Where does sitting at the feet of Jesus fit into your time schedule? And the third question we need to ask, after you've sat at the feet of Jesus, do you leave enough time to actually stop and listen to God? Because we can sit at the feet of Jesus and speak the whole time. Speak and speak. Or we can go, all right, I've got to make sure I read this amount today, so I'll get through it. And by the end of it, you're going, well, I did that. I ticked that off my list, but never stopped to listen to God. We've already heard in today's reading of Psalm 90 that, that we need to number our days, to take stock of our days. 
We've heard that Jesus is commending Mary for, for taking time not to be busy, but to sit with Jesus. But we also must make sure we're listening and taking hold of the life that Jesus lived. Jesus had plenty on, for sure. He did plenty. But in Mark chapter 1, as he starts out his ministry, he sets us out to, to follow him. We hear about this story of, of a busy day for Jesus. He's been ministering to the church in the morning, sorting out some issues with the mother-in-law of Simon, and then having the whole town sort of descend on him and on the doorstep and asking to be healed. It's a busy day, and I'm sure Jesus was tired by the end of it. So, but Jesus got up early the next morning. He went to a solitary place and he prayed. There were still people in the town that wanted him. In fact, they went looking for him. Where's Jesus? What's, where is he? They wanted to be changed by Jesus. And Jesus could have got up early, and instead of going away, he could have gone, let's gather the town again. There's more people. There's more people. But he understood the importance of his time with his father, which set in motion these, his sort of um, time that he had in ministry. And it's important to mention that after Jesus prayed that morning, in that solitary place, even though everyone was looking for him to do more ministry right then and there, he got a sense from his father it was time to move on. He went and prayed and listened. Within our busy lives, full of so many things, sometimes we just don't stop and have enough time to listen. Making decisions based on what we're hearing from God, is more important than making decisions on the fly. Do you find you're too busy to stop and pray? Do you find you're too rushed to stop and listen to God or to seek clarification or discernment? Or if you do pray, do you just shoot it up and then take off again? I believe that God continually speaks. I think we all probably believe that. God's continually speaking into the space, into the world. Sometimes I think maybe our technology gets in the way of it a little bit uh, and we get distracted. But the stewardship of time means that we're going to stop and listen to God as well. It's an important, stewardship of time is such an important space to have a healthy relationship with God because God gave us time or gives us time. Stewardship is about the, the life God wants you to live, to be good stewards of time. I believe God's calling us to a less hurried way of life. One thing that I've been considering uh, through this year is as, as you put meetings into your calendar, it's easy to put meetings back to back to back. But why don't we leave 15 minutes in between each meeting? Say, I've finished this meeting, I'm going to have 15 minutes and take a slow journey to the next meeting. If you're driving to the next meeting or if, if your next meeting's in the next room, Step away for that 15 minutes and be less hurried. Take the breath. Put that in your diary. Put it in as if that's, that's a, a space. Don't just go, this 15 minutes is not there. But that breath is important. That breath to stop hurry. So this week, I want you to think about these three, three questions as you go about your week. As you think about the time that, that God's given you. Are you trying to do too many things at once? Where does sitting at the feet of Jesus fit into your timeline? And do you leave enough space to stop and listen to God? Let me pray. 
Now, Lord and God, we thank you so much that you have given us the time that you've given us. We feel blessed to live in a time where we have technology to help us do things. We feel blessed to live in a time where we are able to uh, have um, breakthroughs in medicine that heal things that weren't able to in the past. We feel privileged to live in a time where we have, in this country, freedom to worship. But God, may we use the time that you've given us wisely. May we consider how we live, that we may not live a rushed and hurried life. May we consider how we can stop and when we can stop to be with you every day through the week, that our life may be fulfilled, our life may be lived to its fullest through the, through the uh, stewardship of the time you've given us. So Lord, may we be transformed in your likeness. Amen.